Hello and welcome to Coronavirus, The Whole Story, an award-winning podcast all about the work of UCL's community in understanding and combating the coronavirus pandemic. My name's Vivian Parry. I'm a writer, broadcaster, UCL alumna, and your host on Whisper It Softly, our 20th episode, which comes as cases of coronavirus are once again rising rapidly throughout the UK and indeed Europe too. It's the beginning of the new academic year, and so this week's episode is all about the return to campus life and what this term might look like. I'm joined by three guests, each playing a critical role. The safe return to campus, helping UCL adapt to remote teaching, and very importantly, ensuring that student voices are fully represented. My first guest this week is Professor Garant Rees, the Dean of the Faculty of Life Sciences, Geraint is a stellar researcher in neurology who's also made huge contributions to the academic and career support available to students at UCL. Of late, he's been busy helping to plan how and when the UCL community can return to campus. I'm also joined by Professor Norbert Pachler, the Pro-Vice Provost in Digital Education. Norbert is a Professor of Education and founder of the London Mobile Learning Group, an interdisciplinary and international research group for mobile learning projects. He's here as our expert on remote learning for the UCL community, teaching and learning from home. My final guest for this week is Carol Page, the Democracy Operations and Community Officer of the UCL Student Union. Carol studies risk, disaster and resilience. And I bet you, Carol, you never thought your degree would be quite so relevant so quickly. And she's currently on sabbatical whilst working for the student union. She was elected on a platform of working to create a sense of belonging for students at UCL, which feels like more of a mission challenge for this term, especially for first years. So, Garant, let's start with you and let's start by putting the whole of the thing in context about UCL's plans for the new term. So first of all, who's returning to campus and in what capacity? Yeah, well, it's important to point out that, of course, the campus never really closed. There have been people here throughout uh, the lockdown, uh, keeping some of our experiments ticking over, doing some of our COVID-19 research. uh, And of course, uh, some students have been here. Uh, There's also changes uh, over the summer. Many of our research buildings reopened. Um, Our libraries have gradually reopened. And again, the campus has gradually come to life with uh, lots of staff there and just a few students. And now we're starting to see the students come back. Our medical students have been back in clinical placement uh, for a little while. uh, And many of our undergraduates are now going to arrive uh, and our our postgraduates. So it's not all happening at once. It's happening gradually over an extended period of time. And our preparations have had to respond to that. Now, we've seen an announcement about UCL offering COVID testing to students. How's that going to work? So we've been working for months. I mean, all our planning, we started planning almost the day after we uh, entered lockdown. In fact, we moved to remote uh, teaching and learning uh, before lockdown back in March. Uh, The testing facility is one we've been running in pilot. Colleagues have been working incredibly hard for several months uh, in the Paula Gorman building, which is uh, the the Cancer Institute, but that's uh, not relevant to COVID. It's only relevant because that has the specialised facilities that we need uh, to provide testing. That'll be linked to the NHS, which is important because uh, what we offer needs to be complementary to the NHS test and trace system, uh, not replacing it. We're not set up to... Uh, provide 
detailed contact tracing, particularly for staff and students who are in the community. Uh, but we want to provide a testing service for people who have symptoms uh, who can't get to their local NHS testing centre or, or perhaps on campus. So the way that will work is just as uh, with any uh, testing process, uh, you'll register on our website, uh, let us know your symptoms and in a safe way uh, you'll be given a symptom testing kit, a swab, uh, with the result being processed just as it is in the large government laboratories with the PCR machines. And that'll then be fed back to you uh, and, and if appropriate uh, on to the NHS for test and trace. So Garen, what happens if a student tests positive? Are they going to stay at UCL or go back home? Because there's quite a lot of debate about whether it's a good idea to send students home. Well, the most important thing, of course, if any of us develop symptoms, because it's symptoms that are more important than a test, uh, is that we stay at home or in a place where we can isolate safely. Uh, and that will differ uh, for different uh, people with different living arrangements. But the most important thing to do is, of course, stay at home if you have symptoms, uh, isolate appropriately, uh, inform the NHS and the university through our Connect to Protect web service, uh, and then get a test. Uh, if the test is negative or positive, then the NHS can also provide advice then on what the best and most appropriate way to handle that is in a way that protects not only uh, the student or the member of staff who's test positive, uh, but also, of course, everyone around us, because what we're trying to do here is protect not just individuals, but our community. We've all got a very clear idea of what campus life is like, particularly in this term, you know, whether it's teaching or sports or society meetings. What are they going to look like now? Well, they're going to look very different because, of course, all of our preparations on campus uh, for all sorts of activities involve the fundamentals of safety, which we, of course, all know involve washing your hands, uh, making space, two metres social distancing and masks. And that impacts upon social life and the vibrancy of campus, uh, as well as impacting upon our teaching and research. So we've made extensive modifications to uh, all our student accommodation, for example, all our venues, and work very closely with the Students' Union, um, who have been uh, incredibly uh, supportive of trying to put on a programme for uh, incoming students, which is as vibrant as possible, whilst also being safe. And for all of those plans, we've got to stay flexible because what we know about uh, the COVID epidemic, the pandemic so far, is that it isn't going away and that it is waxing and waning. So we need those plans to stay flexible uh, at all times so we can either uh, pull back or, or if things become safer again, alter them appropriately. And at the moment, it looks like it's really escalating. Well, sadly, it does. Cases are going up nationally, although in London, the rise at the moment is more muted. So there's this uh, different situation that we need to very closely monitor, both in London and in our local borough, Camden, very closely. So our plans need to respond to that. Early indications, as we know in the news, it, it's difficult to tell. Uh, certainly hospital emissions are going up a little, but perhaps not as much as some of our clinicians expected. One of the things we can do at UCL to help with that is not only use the official sources of information, but also use our own experts. And we have a public health advisory group that we've set up to formalise that advice uh, and ensure the management team and all our community are properly advised uh, not only about the general measures we're taking, but whether we need to take any specific measures. We've done that already, of course. We made the move to remote teaching before lockdown uh, back in March. 
uh, and so we're prepared to do that if necessary. But we always want to be guided both by our local public health experts, our local academic experts, and of course, national guidance. One of the things to say here is that, of course, every year we see a spike in all sorts of colds, flus, all sorts of things, just as students return uh, to university because they're bringing their home bugs to one place and spreading them around a bit. So how difficult is it going to be to distinguish the normal kind of spike of respiratory infection that goes on at this time of year and COVID? Well, there are some slight differences in the symptoms between colds and runny noses uh, and the temperature, persistent new cough uh, and, and other symptoms such as anosmia that we associated with COVID. But I think it's a very good question. The starting point would be um, the precautionary principle that if you feel you have symptoms, then we're advising everyone stay home. Uh, let us know, let the NHS know and get a test and respond on that basis. But it's quite interesting when we take advice from our academic experts as well, because in the southern hemisphere, they've already had their flu season. And one of the very interesting things about winter flu and all those coughs and sniffles is there doesn't really seem to have been a, a, a pronounced flu season in the southern hemisphere. So much so that researchers who wanted to study the joint impact of flu and COVID uh, were unable to do so because there simply weren't enough flu cases in places like Australia and other parts in the Southern Hemisphere. I guess it shows the extraordinary effect of social distancing. Well, maybe, or maybe it's masks, or maybe it's something different. I think, you know, more research is needed there. But pragmatically, that could be very helpful. We're going for a belt and braces approach, though, because, uh, for example, the flu jab will shortly become available. Uh, and we're making that available to all our staff uh, and also in a pilot programme, making it available to our students. And we're encouraging our staff uh, to get vaccinated for the flu as well. Uh, we need to take a responsible approach because just because the Southern Hemisphere hasn't had a flu season doesn't mean we won't. And we need to do our bit not just to uh, distinguish the symptoms, but also to alleviate any pressure on the NHS. I had my flu jab this very morning. So let me turn now to Norbert because there are lots of people who can't return to campus, even with the safety measures that Garant has outlined. Norbert, how much of the teaching that is would have been taking place this term is taking place online? We've taken the view very early on that the health situation is going to be rather unpredictable and therefore it is best for all of our students and our staff if we adopt a digital first approach and that means we have the flexibility to offer all of our core teaching online during term one that includes lectures, tutorials, seminars, assessment. Of course we recognise the undoubted benefits benefits uh, to students of attending university-based activities in person. And we obviously uh, will try uh, and offer uh, as much uh, of that as, as we can, circumstances permitting, but it is likely not to be much more than one to two hours a week. And uh, we've been spending a lot of careful thought uh, on how best to ensure that these activities uh, where students can partake in them are complementary to the digitally available uh, activities and that those students who can't come to campus uh, won't lose out, but will also be available to avail themselves of the rich intellectual uh, rigour of uh, the programmes that we offer. Yeah, we shouldn't forget as well that quite a lot of people who have places or who uh, 
maybe even second and third years, who've effectively been marooned in their home country and are just not able to get to UCL. So that must be very, very difficult for them. What other elements of UCL life are having to move online, Norbert? Uh, Well, obviously, uh, we recognise that the uh, social experience uh, is a really, really important and integral part of student life. Uh, And we've really done a lot of planning uh, around the notion of the connected learner uh, to try and put in place uh, virtual infrastructure that Uh, wherever possible, uh, tries to emulate uh, the rich uh, social activities that would normally be available on campus. And uh, I want to sort of echo a point that's been made earlier. Uh, We've been uh, fortunate to work in close partnership with the student union to enable us to uh, offer to our students uh, these opportunities, but they range all the way across to activities that maybe Carol will talk about later on. But they also involve, of course, uh, central services that we would normally uh, have been making available face-to-face, which we're now needing to migrate into the realm uh, of uh, the virtual campus, uh, such as uh, student support and and well-being, careers, uh, uh, support work, uh, personal tutoring, uh, and and, and so forth. So we've taken a very, very holistic and, and, and lateral perspective on this and are trying to really make all of the services online for our students who can't come and join us in person. Is it possible to recreate social experience? Because I don't know about anybody else, but a Zoom cocktail is not really the same as a real Manhattan in a real bar. Well, obviously, there are some differences. Uh, That goes without saying. But I think it's also important to try and understand uh, the unique affordances that uh, some of the technological tools have, uh, particularly um, around uh, connecting uh, learners and ensuring a connected approach to learning. At UCL, uh, we've historically had uh, a signature pedagogy that was called the correct curriculum, which was around uh, research-based education. What we've tried to do in the transition from emergency remote teaching to starting to plan for more uh, online uh, delivery uh, during the current academic year is to really tease out some of the key uh, features uh, of, of our signature pedagogy approach around uh, connecting with people, connecting with knowledge uh, and connecting with the wider world. And we've used these sorts of design principles in trying to maximize the affordances of, of technology. And uh, in fact, uh, what we've seen is uh, colleagues are really starting to understand the benefits, for example, uh, that having recordings uh, of events can bring in terms of uh, the ability uh, to listen in again, to reflect on what's been said, and therefore uh, potentially develop a much richer learning experience. But it does require a whole new skill set, doesn't it? Not just on uh, students' part, but actually on on academic staff because giving a lecture online is really very different to giving it in person I mean you do have to think about you know where am I looking you know what are my materials how are they going to be interpreted you know what can I do differently that's more effective online 
and you're, you're absolutely right. And again, uh, we've been very, very fortunate in, in being able to draw on some really established teams at UCL, both in terms of the, our UCL Arena team, as well as our digital education team, uh, who've been able to come together over the last uh, few months and develop uh, staff development opportunities, which we call the Connected Learning Essentials programs, which do exactly that, which try and prepare uh, our sort of 7,500 or so uh, teaching active staff uh, for the challenges and the opportunities uh, of working online. And it's not just staff, of course, who need to get used to working in new ways, but it's uh, students as well. Uh, and in order to support that, uh, we've also developed the Connected Learning at UCL course for students. Uh, so when they come, or be even before they come uh, and start the program, they're able to familiarize themselves with what it's like uh, working remotely. And we haven't done so just uh, as the staff at UCL, but we've done so with partnership uh, with students and it's been really really great to have student interns for example work closely with us uh, draw to our attention the sorts of benefits that they have derived in the past uh, from uh, studying at UCL some of the challenges they faced and we've been able to incorporate that uh, in, in our planning and staff and student development activities. So Norbert I'm going to put you on the spot I want you to give me one tip for staff and one tip for students that helps in this new way of learning? Well, I think one of the really, really important uh, uh, things for staff uh, to get their head around uh, is the fact that online learning works best in an asynchronous mode rather than in a, in a synchronous mode. That's not to say that real-time uh, synchronous activities aren't uh, beneficial, but I think it's really important to understand that in order to maximize uh, student learning and enable them to succeed, uh, it's important that the material are presented in a way that they can access them uh, at uh, any time and particularly at their own pace and in their own time. And that, of course, uh, requires a move away from sort of 60-minute, 90-minute, whatever, uh, lectures to uh, cut uh, input down, capture them in 15, 20-minute segments, and then develop activities around those uh, segments that either prepare students for being able to engage with, with the video or afterwards uh, activities that uh, engage uh, with uh, the new ideas and knowledge that's being presented. And that's, of course, a very, very a significant uh, shift in, in terms of planning and needless to say you know, it is quite uh, time intensive in, in terms of preparation time uh, but if it's ah, you see you're discovering yeah. the things that uh, that we know in journalism that it takes far longer to write a long piece uh, far long a lot longer to write a short piece than it does a long piece because you you know that that Making it look easy and making it work in short bits is is actually much harder than it than it looks. Very very quickly, Norbert, a tip for students. Well, I think the really really important thing uh, is uh, for for students to not just uh, remain in isolation, although they may be working on their own uh, in in a particular geographical location, but uh, to see university life as a broader community of practice, as it were, and to avail themselves of all the myriad of different ways that we are trying to put in place to really join up with and hook up with uh, fellow students, and that of course uh, may mean familiar 
familiarizing yourself with a number of different tools that one may not have used before and investing a bit of time in social networking activities. But I think becoming part of the wider family in this virtual way will be will enrich the student experience significantly. So not just learn from staff, but also learn from each other. Thank you. You're listening to Coronavirus, The Whole Story, a podcast brought to you by UCL Minds. If there's a question about coronavirus you'd like our researchers to answer, email us at minds at ucl.ac.uk or tweet at UCL. Now, a lot of the podcast so far has been about getting UCL ready for students, but what about getting students ready for UCL? Carol, how have you been involved in the process of getting UCL students ready for the new academic year? So I've been involved in a lot of uh, communication campaigns and kind of really trying to translate all of the incredible risk assessments, um, technical documentation and all the different changes in policy that the union and UCL have kind of made happen over this last six months and really transforming that into kind of a set of words, a set of posters, a community agreement that students can really get on board with. And that's definitely been a focus of mine over the over these last few weeks. And kind of with students almost arriving to campus, I'm very happy to say we're almost there. Well done you, well done. What would your, I asked Norbert for some tips about digital learning, but what about uh, your advice for students who are perhaps worried about coming onto campus? Or are they worried about coming onto campus? What, uh, because lots of uh, people of your age are not worried so much about the virus, although they may, of course, be worried about taking it back home if they have uh, people that they live with who are vulnerable. I can't speak for kind of the, the kind of the general population who's my age, um, but our UCL students are really concerned about their safety. Um, with the ramp up to the beginning of term, I've definitely seen more students email me with concerns around um, kind of their safety on campus, whether it would be compulsory for people to wear face coverings on campus, and just kind of the um, granular level questions about what their experience would be like and how seriously UCL will be prioritizing their safety and with with my replies to that I always reiterate that UCL and the students union take their safety as they are top their top most priority and that always kind of makes them feel a lot better and kind of a lot of the kind of communications are kind of going out now so hopefully I'll see kind of slightly fewer students emailing me about the kind of nitty-gritty safety questions but I will say that Kind of our students, a lot of our students are from abroad and they're from countries which are having different approaches to coronavirus, if I can say that. And so they'll be coming to the UK and to London with a whole different set of, of kind of norms and kind of normal behaviour. And so sometimes that's um, more relaxed than the UK and sometimes that's a bit stricter. And so my role at the moment is all about making sure that they understand what's expected of them when they come to UCL. And I think my first tip for students is to read to read everything you've been emailed. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of the messaging is going out to their email inboxes, uh, and to really 
kind of go through everything that you've been sent because sometimes messages can be lost and that's kind of a good way to try and catch up on everything. Now that first term that you spend at university and even all these years later, I remember mine very well, is the time that you start to make friendships actually, which probably last your whole life. You get involved with societies. How do you get people accustomed to campus life when they're not actually on campus? It's difficult. <laughs> I'm not going to say any anything otherwise, but we've really spent kind of particularly the last few months at the Students' Union, trying to create the most engaging um, set of digital events possible. Everything that the Students' Union is doing is digital first because quite quite a lot of our students will be joining us remotely, at least at the beginning of term one. And something that's really important to sense of belonging and to that sense of community is that we don't want the people who are joining us remotely to feel like they're missing out. And with kind of the most recent government guidelines, we really felt that when we first made the decision to be kind of an almost complete digital welcome period um, we now feel that it was the right decision because if we were not planning that then we'd certainly be frantically planning it now. Now how do you feel about the conversations that are going on a lot in the media and there's a particular push from politicians on this about the role that young people are playing in the spread of coronavirus whether that's because they're socialising with friends or they're travelling to the to their jobs, and of course, so many young people have jobs in service industries, or they're on public transport. How do you feel about that? And how is UCL going to help students stay safe whilst making the most out of living in London? Because of course, you can protect people on campus, but not beyond. To answer the first part, it certainly frustrates me. I myself and kind of all the people I interact with on social media take this very seriously and to see the media kind of almost blame or almost entirely blame young people whoever that describes um, for this kind of most recent increase in cases I'm glad you mentioned it kind of frustrates me and I'm glad you mentioned that kind of young people are those more likely to be in the service industry and those more likely to be forced back into the hospitality jobs that keep those bars, pubs, cafes and restaurants running. And I believe it was a message from Matt Hancock saying that young people need to get back to the pubs, bars and restaurants and the whole eat out eat out to help out scheme was designed so that people would be going out into the bars, pubs and restaurants to reinvigorate the economy. And yet now it's definitely frustrating to see the same people that they were encouraging to go out are now being blamed. And so it's definitely kind of a cause of a lot of frustration on my part. And to answer your second part of your question, how do we how do we encourage others or encourage our students to take the same care when they're off campus? Well, and to make the most of, of, of London, because you know, London is a fantastic, fantastic city and people want to go out and explore it and, and mm. use it and, and have fun in it. So a fir- the first part of kind of the first part of my answer is around encouraging good behaviours. And I've definitely worked in partnership with UCL, ensuring that there's a real sense of we are one community, regardless of where we are, and whether we are on campus or not. And so I really hope that that message kind of encourages um, 
not just our students, but everyone who visits our campus to really think about their actions, both on just when they're at UCL physically and when they're not. And the second part around exploring London, there are certainly a lot of things that you can do to explore the city, which don't require you to be in more than a group of six. I know that when I first started started at UCL, more than a few years ago, I just spent whole afternoons just wandering around the city and just doing a lot of self-guided walking tours, which were a great way, a great free way to explore the city and stay active. I have to ask you this. You're studying <laughs> risk, disaster and resilience. <laughs> How much has that, has that course helped you with this? More than I could ever say. The reason why I started that course was because I was always interested in kind of natural hazards. Pandemics never really um, passed, like went through my mind with that. And so I wanted to know how I could help people adapt to the hazards they live near. And on the course, there was a lot on risk assessments, how to cope with um, or how to deal with incidents that happen, whether they be long-standing incidents or just one event. And it's definitely a lot about the procedure. And that's something that I brought with myself, that kind of challenging voice and that challenging stance when people both at, at the Students' Union and at, the, and at UCL said, this is the best way to do it. And I go, is it? Where's the proof that it's the best way? And always that kind of analytical slant to it as well, where kind of I would be looking at the whole picture and I definitely have my course to thank for that. There you are. Carol, your person in a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always thought that actually the best degree on offer at UCL, and I know you're all going to fight me now, but is earthquakes with disaster management. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Top course. So I want to ask you all now, because this is something that we've we've done all sorts of things to mitigate this dreadful thing that's upon us. However, I suspect that an awful lot of things are not going to go back to what they were pre-COVID because we'll have discovered new and different ways of doing things which actually add to UCL, uh, not subtract from it. So, Garant, can I turn to you first? What do you think that we will not see returning again after COVID? I think we... I think I'll answer that in a slightly different way. What, what, what I think we're midway through is this transition to what both Norbert and Carol said is digital first. So the whole organisation, thousands of colleagues have worked incredibly hard to go from an organisation that's fully face-to-face to one that's digital first with just minimal face-to-face that's required for course enrichment or, or for essential practicals. And I think that gives us, when this uh, pandemic is over or is waning, Um, an enormous opportunity to think carefully uh, about what that means for the future of our education, how we keep the bits that are good. So I prefer to think about how we keep the bits um, that are really transformational, uh, that we've put so much effort into achieving, whilst obviously um, thinking about the bits that we will miss while we are keeping safe uh, and how we put those back in. Um, And perhaps... The the, the final reflection on that is also, um, I think Carol said, we're one community and the close partnership working between all members of our community has been incredible so far. And I think if we can maintain that and augment that sense of community, then we're doing what what a university is, an academic community uh, that comes together 
to generate and disseminate knowledge and transform the lives of young people. So I'm, although completely mindful of how challenging the situation is at the moment, I, I can also see in an optimistic way that many of the things we're doing here will outlast uh, the pandemic and offer real value to our university and the wider community. Norbert, I'm going to ask you that question the other way around, because obviously you're a great enthusiast for digital first. But what of the things that we aren't able to have at the moment do you think are essential for the future? So what are the face-to-face things that you think have really been revealed to have great value? I I think uh, it's a really interesting question. And uh, if if I may, I would just like to sort of support uh, Geraint's point just now uh, in that what the current situation really offers us uh, is uh, to uh, invest in our uh, technological infrastructure to really bring the uh, affordances uh, of new technologies uh, to bear uh, much more strongly. So if we took, for example, the, the, the many uh, lab-based and practice-based uh, activities uh, that are currently going on face-to-face, it's been really, really interesting to see that there's a lot of opportunity to actually uh, make those experiences uh, happen uh, virtually. And in so doing, although they might change slightly, they might actually become uh, richer uh, learning opportunities uh, for our students uh, by virtue of the opportunity to to use uh, things like uh, AI and, 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 and VR uh, and, and, and strengthen uh, what's uh, available online. But very, very uh, obviously, UCL continues, as I said earlier on, uh, to, to very much uh, believe in the undoubted uh, benefits of uh, face-to-face learning experiences um, and these social interactions and the opportunities uh, for learning that those uh, create, uh, I think, uh, are something that uh, where colleagues, uh, students choose to have them uh, rather than opting for fully online programs, we, we should be trying to um, uh, make uh, more of in terms of uh, supporting our learning experiences. By that, I mean that we should foreground uh, interactivity uh, uh, more and more and try and uh, move away from from transmission-based approaches where they still exist. Carol, I want to give the last word to you on this. What do you think will change forever? I think the way in which people consider education, so to kind of to really just go slightly further on kind of Norbert and Geraint's answer, some of the things we've seen in the, in the changes to digital education is that now it's a lot more accessible to all of our students. If there's a meeting on Teams and um, a student just goes into the settings, they can turn on automatic automatic captions, which means that if they are hard of hearing or if English is their second, third, fourth or fifth language, then they have that in order to aid their understanding. And I think that that will change forever in that there will always be that option now. Just last year, a lot of our a lot of our disabled students at UCL were told that it would be impossible to have um, recordings of lectures with subtitles on it, or not uh, impossible, but very unlikely. But yet this year, that's re- that's reality for the, for the majority of our students, and I think that that needs to set, stay 
the way forward because in order to have a great education at UCL for all students, it needs to be accessible for all of our students. Great point. Although, can I just say that the text underneath Teams, uh, it's a bit like BBC text. Sometimes it's hilarious because it completely misreads a couple of words. And I do worry for some overseas students (laughs) if they're relying on on, Teams. uh, teams text translate but you're absolutely right that's so such an important point about accessibility uh, you've been fantastic guests thank you so much uh, to all of you so you have been listening to coronavirus the whole story this episode was presented by myself vivian parry produced by ucl with support from the ucl health of the public and ucl grand challenges and edited by the ever-splendid Keris Bradley. Our guests today were Professors Garrett Rees and Norbert Packler and Student Union Rep Carol Page. And if you'd like to hear more of these podcasts from UCL Minds, subscribe wherever you download your podcasts or visit ucl.ac.uk forward slash coronavirus. And can I mention our back catalogue, which is also there for you to enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by UCL Minds, bringing together UCL knowledge, insights and expertise through events, digital content and activities open to everyone. Hope to be with you again soon. Bye for now.